0: Uh, hi, this is RAG Radio. I'm Thorne Dreyer. Uh, glad you're with us again this Friday. Uh, assuming you're listening to us live, uh, then you're listening to us on Friday. Uh, RAG Radio comes your way, in fact, originates every Friday afternoon from 2 to 3 p.m. on KOOP Radio. That's, uh, it's a, it's a uh, cooperatively run, solar-powered, all-volunteer community radio station in Austin, Texas. Uh, we are also rebroadcast by a number of other stations around the country, and our podcasts are widely distributed. So that's us. Um, Alice Embry is here with me. Hey, going to join. Hi, Alice. How are you? Fine. <laughs> fine. She's fine. Uh, she's going to join us in the interview, uh, and our guests are Bernadine Dorn and Bill Ayers. Very, very cool.
1: All the way from Chicago.
0: All the way from Chicago. Is- you guys there?
2: But close as can uh. be.
0: Hi, Alice. Hi, Thorne. Hi. Hi. How are you? Uh, Good to hear your voices. Well, it's also it's, and we thought we were actually going to see some faces, but or at least Bernadine's, when we originally scheduled the show, we promised we promised we were going to have you. So we so, Bernadine ended up having a travel situation where she couldn't stay, and so that's why we rescheduled it for this. Even though it's disembodied voices. <laughs> but if you're listening to it on the radio, it's always disembodied. So what's the difference? <laughs> but now, we're
2: not getting to hang out together. That's, that's the what, only downside.
0: That's the downtime. Uh, we've all been. I will mention that all four of us, including Alice, have been friends for many years. Um,
3: Long years.
0: How many ninety? Lucky
2: us. Lucky us. <laughs> yeah, really.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, Uh, Bill Ayers is a social justice activist and an elementary education theorist. He is a distinguished professor of education and senior university scholar, retired, at the University of Illinois at Chicago, and author of two memoirs, Fugitive Days and Public Enemy. Bernadine Dorn, the first law student organizer for the National Lawyers Guild, was a clinical associate professor of law at the Children and Family Justice Center at Northwestern University School of Law. Uh, Ayers and Dorn, who are married... Who are married? <laughs> were, were, let's make this more, you know, positive. Who are married? Were <laughs> active in the '60s New Left and the movement against the war in Vietnam, and were leaders of SDS and the Weather Underground. So um, I asked I asked Bernadine for some ideas of things to talk about, and and she said uh, these were some possible topics. She gave us police murder and the verdict in the Laquan McDonald case in Chicago. War and Peace, so we're going to go literary, Women and Girls, Resistance, Mass Incarceration and Youth, Schools and Educational Policy. So, Alice, that'll take us, what, to about I, the end of the year? I think December 31st. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, we, we won't be able to, to, I don't think, address all of those things in, in depth because we all like Well, to, you
3: know, that's a, that's a good list she gave you, but it's a, also a pointer to the fact that every issue links to every other issue, and that's something that we who've been involved in trying to build social movements have believed for a long, long time.
1: You sound like an organizer. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah, we were just, we were, Alice and I were both in a, in a uh, class at the University of Texas speaking this week, and uh, one of the things they were talking about was the Port Huron statement. And, uh, oh, my gosh. And so I read, actually, a couple of uh, uh, quotes from, uh, about economic democracy, that was in there. That basically,
1: um, yeah, we got yeah. some good feedback. We from got the great. Students. All the kids wrote. Good all reviews. the kids wrote,
0: uh, and and told us wonderful things about us.
1: Yeah, we were on with Martha Cotera too. So yeah. it was it was mm-hmm. very lively. Yes, well she's lively. Yes. Well, you
3: know that that I think that statement holds up myself. But I particularly like the opening where it says we are people of this generation, bred in at least modest comfort looking uneasily at the world we inherit. And I feel that resonates with me today as much as it did 50 years ago.
0: That's right. Isn't it true? Uh, Alice actually yes. read that, too. Yeah, <laughs> I read too. that.
1: I, I I, mean, for a lot of people, it's not the same kind of modest comfort uh, that it was, or at least the inequity has been revealed to be greater that is than it was.
2: sure true. Your students are mm-hmm. carrying massive Student death, debt, probably. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: Were you yeah. both? Were you both here at the event at UT, or was it just? No, just, the, just me. Just you. Okay, that's what I. That's what I. And thought.
1: what? What was it?
2: It was a, a, a kind of a beautiful um, funeral before anybody died. It was the opening of the archives of Michael Tiger's papers, and he had been a professor at the law school there for I don't know, a ten or fifteen years, um, and is a long-time radical lawyer. Um, And, you know, you'll remember maybe that he did the Seattle conspiracy trial. He was the defense counsel there. He worked on a a, a handbook for lawyers during the Vietnam War uh, around selective service law. He did the trial um, in Oklahoma City of the second Oklahoma City bomber. He... Represented John Connolly, (laughs) governor of Texas, in the milk scandal case. So he had had quite a career, quite a storied career. And his papers, all of his papers, archives, photographs, briefs, books, everything um, is now digitized and available online there in kind of a beautiful way. So this was the ceremonial Uh, breaking the champagne over the computer. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Very cool. Okay, of these things that that you addressed, which like Bill says kind of overlap into covering everything, uh, because it's all one big and I would have to say right now really kind of discouraging picture. Um, is there something that you would that's most on your mind that you would like to start out talking about? Well
1: we're
2: in different Parts of the house here, so we can't even signal to each other. <laughs> I, I, I thought your listeners would be interested in the jury verdict last week in the trial of Jason Van Dyke, who's a Chicago police officer, the white Chicago police officer, who pulled up at the last minute at midnight in the West Side neighborhood and fired 16 shots into the body of an African American teenager named Laquan McDonald. And this was um, the first jury finding in Chicago in about 50 years of an on uh, of homicide for an on-duty cop. He was convicted of second-degree murder and 16 different other felony charges for each shot that he fired into wow. this young man's body already on the ground. Um, and you know it. it, it the Black Lives Matter movement here has been used the slogan "16 shots and a cover-up" for the last three and a half years since it was reve- since this video was revealed. It was originally the cover-up is that the video was suppressed so that our mayor Rahm Emanuel could get reelected, and um, the family was paid an amount that the city council approved. So the cover-up went many layers deep, but finally. Uh, the video after a lawsuit was was released. And the video is unequivocal. There are already um, five or six police cars mm. following and surrounding this young man. And the one that uh, Jason Van Dyke was in pulled up and he jumped out and shot him 16 times. So it's a, it's a historic event here in Chicago, really. And I think if there hadn't been a movement... Focused on this case It would have never come to trial It It would have never been indicted
1: It might not have ever come to light That's Um, exactly right mm -hmm, I
2: mean the plan was to Pay off the family And suppress the video And um, you know Because it uh, Did come out eventually And because there was a movement Constantly raising these issues Mm -hmm. uh, I finally um, both the video was released and then after that, agitation for having tried. It was kind of a complicated thing for me to watch a police officer be tried in that court because the prosecutor is the one on our side. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> and all, yeah. we don't even believe in prison, do so out of this? But I think in this case, it was a, a jury who listened for a week and a half, two weeks to the evidence and was really um, very, very clear. Six of them chose to be interviewed afterward. And lots of people, I attended three different times to watch it Um, and trials, as you both know, can be really boring (laughs) and horrible. (laughs) But in this case, um, I think the, the police officer and his lawyers felt concerned enough so that they put him on the stand the last day. And uh, he was terrible. You know, the usual argument I feared for my life made no sense in this context. No sense whatsoever. And so the jury didn't really take it seriously.
0: You know... I don't know. You know, this... there It's certainly not uncommon. You know, we see the percentages of convictions for police officers uh, in in assault or, or murder cases and. They very, very, very rarely get convicted. Um, Do you see, was this a different situation, or do you see this as some kind of a turning point?
2: Well, I'm always worried about the turning point idea. You know, the long history in Chicago of, you know, the police murder of Fred Hampton and and, uh, going, that's 50 years ago. So um, nobody was ever held criminally responsible for that. Uh, murder by the FBI and the Chicago Police Department, and you know, I I think it's a turning point because it shows what a what a ground movement, what an organizing, consistent organizing movement will do. Also, our mayor is not running again. He announced the week before the trial was going to begin, um, manual that he wouldn't run for mayor for re-election. So, you know, I guess those are those are. So there's something to think about. <laughs> it's, you it, know, it's so, you know, little, I would say, so late I would it's say, hard to feel victorious about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bill.
3: I would say it remains to be seen if it's a turning point. For sure, Bernadine's point about this has never happened before. I mean, 50 years ago, a cop was tried. He had killed a white person. But this is the first time in history that an African-American victim of police assault and murder uh, was held accountable. Uh, this was in a victory chicago. for this
0: in, in, chicago. in chicago right
3: yeah and this was a huge turning point uh in chicago and as bernadine said a great victory for this for the social movement for black lives matter for undocumented and unafraid for hashtag no cop academy two other sh- quick points one is the story of laquan mcdonald is a story of the failure of this city to serve the needs of its youth and so the failure of the school, the failures of the mental health system, the failures of every kind of social system that should have held this kid up actually put him in jeopardy. And then the occupying militarized police shot him down. This is a story that when you first saw it, it was one of those stories where you just turned the page. It's a clear story. In fact, if you watched the news that night or the next night, what you would have seen on television was a cop fearing for his life. This kid was approaching him with a weapon and so on and so on. It took the existence of the social movement and some good investigative reporting and some good attorneys, but mostly it was, the difference was the social movement on the ground. Will it be a turning point? The people in Black Lives Matter certainly hope so, and they intend it to be. The other thing to point out is that Mayor Rahm Emanuel, who covered this thing up, paid the family millions of dollars, is now moved out of office. I mean, we, he's not rerunning for mayor. And the police police chief was fired, and the state's attorney who covered it up uh, was defeated. So the Black Lives Matter people claim four victories. Emanuel's gone, McCarthy's gone, Alvarez is gone, and and now Van Dyke has been uh, convicted. So these are good things. But the other thing to point out is that the mayor has proposed, after closing 50 schools in black and brown communities, the mayor has proposed building a $95 million police academy. And the social movement, again, has taken this on and said, that's a recipe for social suicide. We won't allow it. And there's a great campaign called hashtag No Cop Academy. Get involved in that.
1: You know, in Austin, the Austin Justice Coalition, which is Black Lives Matter here, um, held up a police contract in City Hall, which had never happened before, um, because they wanted uh, it to have safeguards for investigation and accountability and i mean that w- that was uh, it's a very kind of local win but that is also just from consistent pressure at the city hall
2: that it's so true and i this so far touches the police contract which is the well, a police contract but it's really um you know, an ironclad protection of police officers almost no matter what they do. And so, uh, it, you know, it's not about their pay or how much mm-hmm. overtime they get or anything like that. It really is all about protecting them. It makes it not really a labor matter, but really a, a militarized occupation kind of matter. But that's very really encouraging about Austin, mm-hmm. the Austin movement. I think we need to hear. I'm so glad about your show, because I think needing to hear across cities about these struggles is very important and very encouraging.
1: Yeah, yeah we used yes. to have an underground media for that and we don't really have the same we have this uh internet connection but uh, it yeah. sort of fails that sometimes. was one of
0: the things we talked about at that at the mm-hmm. class that we were telling you about was that uh we talked about how the underground press helped let people know all over the country when things happened uh and exactly before, and before right. that it, all you got was three networks you know so no uh,
2: that was a, a great Invention And, uh, you know, we get up every morning and watch Democracy Now! <laughs> for that exact reason, yeah. just to get, you know, a hit of some real news, some real national and international news, it's harder and harder to find.
1: Particularly international. I mean, it's it's amazing how—I mean, there's nothing <laughs> to watch, um, you know, on most of the outlets unless you that watch Democracy so Now! or get some, somehow offline watch other— Other channels, exactly. So you
2: have this incredible, really um, mobile, unarmed, peaceful mass mobilization in Gaza going on every Friday, uh, facing down Israeli tanks and and uh, war weaponry, and already hundreds of people have been shot and injured, and yet each Friday. Um, thousands more come out in in a peaceful protest at the wall at the border in uh, Gaza. And you know it is watching a movement like that is astonishing. And yet, as you point out, if you watch the regular news, you would never see coverage of
0: that. Yeah. Okay, well, this is a very good time for us to take one of our two breaks. So we're okay. going gonna to do it. <laughs> I'm Thorne Dreyer with Alice Embry here in Austin and uh, Bernadine Dorn and Bill Ayers in Chicago. And uh, so we'll be right back.
3: You, who are on the road.
0: Right. I'm Thorne Dreyer. This is RAG Radio. Tracy Schultz is my engineer. I don't know if I reminded people of that a minute ago. Say hey, Tracy. Hey, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Tracy. Alice Embry is here with me. Uh, In Austin and our guests in in Chicago are Bernadine Dorn and Bill Ayers. Um, And I think the show is just hopping right along. Uh, I I love that song that we just played. uh, And... I think it might be uh, a good transition to talk maybe a little bit about education. Uh, I, I can't help but feel all the time that so much of what our problem is is that people are so poorly educated. Uh, you know, our our, our fact-free. Uh, <laughs> you know, right? I mean, all all the problems with 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 fake news, with uh, inability to to. to Communicate on anything but Twitter. I mean, there are just so many things, uh, and and I know uh, Bill, especially is an educational reform theorist, I guess you'd say, is that accurate?
3: I guess. I mean, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, what, what are I'm a, you anyway? <laughs> I'm, I'm stumbling along, putting one foot in front of the other, trying to make a difference in a lot of things, including education.
0: Right.
1: Right. So feed them on your dreams. Uh, that's the song. Do you, you want to comment on that? <laughs> Bill? Well,
3: I think I think I think it's absolutely right. I mean, I think that for a free people in a free society, the the essence of education is developing a mind of your own. And in order to do that, you have to pay attention to the world. You have to see what's really happening. And since the world's dynamic and every student is also dynamic, you can't open your eyes once. You have to kind of constantly push yourself to see more, to experience more, to understand more. And the kind of education on offer for public school students in Chicago has nothing to do with that. It's not about imagination. It's not about naming the world as it could be. It's all about being able to answer questions that are framed and formulated for you. So one of the things I've learned over a long, long time is that People in power who don't really, who aren't really interested in education as a project of uh, enlightenment and liberation always insist that students answer questions, but they're not interested in students asking questions. I'm interested in students being able to ask their own questions, name their own reality, figure out how to get to the kind of world that they want to live in. And that's a, a gigantic struggle in a place like Chicago, where resources are stripped away from the schools where kids are not offered art and music. And it also links to so many other things because as you say, Thorne, uh one of the ways that autocratic or authoritarian rule works is that you dumb people down enough so that they don't know what the world is like. They can't see the world beyond their own experience or beyond what's said to them by the powers that be. That's a very dangerous situation. So I think that Yeah, I think we have to take every every uh, opportunity uh, to take education into the street, to take education into the community, um, to take education where we can find it. I thought you were going to move to War and Peace, and I I think it's worth noting that this uh, terrible, terrible incident of the torture and murder of this uh, Saudi journalist in the Turkish embassy in the embassy in Turkey uh, is an opportunity for real education. What is Saudi Arabia? Why is it that a couple of months ago Mohammed bin Salman was visiting the United States and feted by everyone from Bill Gates to Hillary Clinton? What was that about? And now it turns out, of course, he's a cold-blooded murderer. But that's not shouldn't be a surprise if you're paying attention to things like Saudi's involvement in in Saudi Arabia's involvement in Yemen and the U.S. enabling that murderous, genocidal war. So those are the way these things link, I think.
2: I I I thought you were going to, Bill. I have to take you back for a minute. Bill just read Arnie Duncan's new book so that we wouldn't have to, as he says. And uh, and I think...
0: Tell us who Arnie Duncan is. People don't know. uh, Arnie Duncan was the
3: Secretary of Education under President Obama for eight years. And before that, he was the superintendent of the Chicago schools for four years. So for 12 years, he's been in charge of the schools. And um, he's been a a major kind of supporter of what what some of us call corporate school reform. Corporate school reform basically argues that the way you can tell who's an educated person is uh, a single metric, a score on a standardized test, it also says that we ought to turn the public space over to private entrepreneurs who can do a better job. And it also says that the collective voice of teachers is not necessary, that we don't need to hear from teachers. We're going to tell teachers what to do. This has been a catastrophe for our country, for our public schools, especially public schools for the vulnerable, public schools for African-American kids and recent immigrants from poor countries. And Arnie Duncan just wrote. A memoir about his years. It's called How Schools Work, and Bernadine's right. I read it so none of my friends would have to. <laughs> it's a catastrophe.
0: Including us.
3: The headline of my review is uh, Arnie Duncan never learns a thing. I mean, the whole task of writing a memoir is to think out loud on the page about what you're learning. Arnie Duncan hasn't learned a thing. He promotes Corporate school reform. Nothing in the book is about how schools work, and he has no prescriptions for what we ought to be doing. And what's shocking is that after leading schools for 12 years, being the leading school guy in the country for eight years, and the, and leading Chicago for four other years, he comes back to Chicago and can't find a single public school to send his own children to. And so they, of course, go to the 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 most privileged of private schools. Well, that's, that, that speaks volumes. Not that I think he shouldn't send his kids to a school he admires. What I think is there is great hypocrisy in sending his kids to a school that has a full arts program, a sports program, teachers who are unionized and well-respected, small classrooms. And yet he spent all of his time for 12 years closing schools. He spent all of his time stripping the arts out of schools. This is hypocrisy at the highest level.
1: Wow. Thank you for the review. Yes.
3: I want don't to ask. Okay. I have to you, read the book.
2: An opportunity, Alice and, and Thorne, to ask you about what's going on with the kidnapped children who are being sent to these tent, giant tent cities in Texas because that's the other side of, of education. They have no education, as I understand it, no access to lawyers, um, minimum health care. And you know they have games and TV and movies, but this is a, an ongoing tragedy, and I, I I think there's been a huge response to it, but it hasn't stopped the building of more of these, um, you know. Yeah,
0: Alice. Facilities Alice. Really at, for, mm. Alice has yeah. been involved in this issue a lot. Well, so it's, it's, I
1: mean, we're also in, I'm involved with the sanctuary. Um, situation where we have three people in Austin living in sanctuary in churches right now who are actually kind of tired of being imprisoned in churches i mean they're they're uh, advocating uh you know for to i mean we're trying to secure um freedom for them, but on the, I think one of the terrible things is the uh, short attention span. And there are a lot of uh, organizations working on, the, on, on that issue. In fact, I'm working on a benefit for, uh, for a bail fund uh, that's going to... So Spider House, uh, Sunday, November 18th, uh, we're doing a, a big fundraiser for a bail fund. Um, to get, because you can't get out of the Hutto Detention Center, the women there. That's in in Austin. Spider House is in Austin. Right. Sorry. Not Chicago. Um, Mm -hmm. so you can't get out of Hutto. I mean, separated parents were there and, uh, various groups have been working to get women out and then together with their separated children. But meanwhile, you have this huge industry that's happening around uh, what they call unaccompanied minors. Well, some of the unaccompanied were, let's put it this way, recently unaccompanied because they were separated, but others had come across, and they were, you know, maybe 15, 16, 17, I mean, under 18, and that's who's in these big tent cities. And then you have the, what what do they call them, tender care which means uh, prisons for uh, toddlers. I mean situations where toddlers uh, are expected to uh, testify in court, uh, where they couldn't figure out how to put, you know, a bracelet on kids and <laughs> um, some some form of identification, and, and uh, so that I mean they literally, in in many cases, can't figure out how to who the parents are. I mean, it, yeah. it's atrocious. It was criminal. It was criminal to to criminalize asylum seekers, and then it was cruel and criminal to remove children from parents' arms. And it's still going on. And, you know, the, it's such a—I mean, there should be so much work done to to really— Help, I mean, not to topple governments in Honduras, for example, but to really assist in the stabilization, economic stabilization in Central America, rather than, um, you know, after people have gone on foot for 2,000 miles and to put them in. I, I won't go on and on, but one of the horrible things is that there, I heard a woman describe this in a church on last Saturday cold wet clothes from crossing the river and with her son. And when they took those from her, she thought she was going to get warm clothes and instead they just put her in a, what they all call ice boxes.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and so, the, yeah. you know, and they're shivering there, uh, you know, and in her case, she wasn't separated. She was incarcerated with her son. Um, at uh, Anyway, I mean, yes, it's horrible. It's... Uh, it,
0: <laughs> it's, and a
1: lot of resources are going toward it, but again, there's there's not attention on it all the time.
0: Well, when we talk about the short news span, you know, this is an area in which it certainly is the case. And, uh, you know, the news cycles just, uh, just go by so fast, and there's all this concern, all this attention to these issues, there's all this concern, and then all of a sudden something else pops up, and, and it goes to the bottom of the heap, so...
2: That's
3: quite
1: right. That's certainly true. Go ahead, Bill. I was gonna say that's certainly true. What you Okay, one or the other. Come on. One or the other. You all go right. ahead. Bernadine. You, you separated us. <laughs> <laughs>
0: y'all can, can sort of stand you. and look go around ahead. the corner. Y'all can be in the, you can be in different rooms, but you can look around the corner.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but y'all are like mine, so it works. <laughs>
2: Well, it's heartbreaking. It's torture. I mean, I think what's happened to these children and to these families, Alison's is right, of course, go to the source, go back to the source, go upriver and find out why so many people are willing to risk, you know, lives and separations and family relationships by coming across. Um, But I think that uh, this decision by Trump to reconsider it again and to uh, you know pretend that we've built these beautiful new facilities for children is it's so shocking. It so shocks the contents. It's it's um, you know the domestic version of of bombing civilians in Yemen every day, and it is really uh, outrageous. It's so bad, and I, I I know that there's a lot of people working on this and, and uh, trying to stop it. But I, I think it's important to keep it as much in the forefront of all of our minds as we can.
0: Okay, and Bill?
3: Well, I was going to say, in, in terms of your point, about uh, how quickly the news cycle goes by and how fast our attention is dragged from one issue to another. And, of course, Trump is the master of distraction. And so whenever you see something of, Huge importance. The the president is a master at saying, "Wait, whoa, look over there," and and there is a tendency to put a lot of uh, a lot of stock in that. But I feel like the the antidote to that is two things. One you mentioned earlier, which is the rag and the underground papers of, of years ago. Every social movement finds its own media, its own way to communicate that doesn't rely on the capitalist on the ruling class on the autocrats who run your society. You have to have alternate means of communication, alternate sources of news. That's number one. Number two, organizing, real organizing that actually gets people facing one another is an antidote to the kind of um, attention-grabbing nonsense that goes on so often in the news, whether it's just distractions about fashion and consumerism or whether it's just one antic after another organizing and what we're seeing in chicago that so impresses bernadine and and myself is that the next iteration of the centuries-old struggle for black freedom has really built a network on the ground that has can claim concrete success after concrete success and they are still at it and they face one another and like our movement you know 50 years ago This movement is a movement based on a political view that's deep and sustained. The way they like to say it is we're looking at the world through a queer, feminist, black uh, perspective, and we're making judgments based on that. But they, like us, they're in deep international solidarity. In our case, it was with the Vietnamese. In their case, it's with Palestinians and Africans. But it's the same idea that we're going to build an international movement. We're going to face one another without masks build a real movement that has strong, strong organic connections. We're seeing it in Chicago. We are so impressed. We're so happy to be going along with it.
2: One of the things that's been built here is a really broad coalition called Three R's, Um, and it mainly involves these kind of robust, militant, young organizations. But I think it's – how many, Bill? Fifty different organizations in Chicago. Resist,
3: resist, reimagine, and rebuild.
0: Oh, I right! Love
2: it. And so they really had a ten-point program that they hammered out over a period of a year and a half of dreadful, according to everybody, meetings. <laughs> but people held on to each other, and it really was a wide range of young activists um, and and artists and veterans and. Um, and uh, economic justice issues of housing and health care and you you know it's it's a miracle in a way and so they're they support each other's struggles and in some ways we've seen the weaving together of um, both the, the black freedom movement in chicago and the immigrant um, undocumented and unafraid, and now documented, but the immigrant communities that so characterize Chicago, and that's you know not ever to be taken for granted because the divide and conquer is how mayors, you know, for fifty years have have managed to keep Chicago um, pitted against each other. So uh, we're we're hopeful about this, and it, I think it's part of what gives. Um, The Undocumented and Unafraid Movement and Black Lives Matter, and in particular, all these other organizations doing specific local work, um, Mm -hmm. uh, a sense of being more powerful than, than fragmented. And let me
3: add one, Bernadine. Let me add one. Okay, and then
0: we need to go to break.
3: uh Okay, let me add one, which is the teachers' union, radical teachers' union here in Chicago, and women-led union, and it's a very exciting uh, coming together of labor and community groups, and it really is something to behold.
2: It's true. The Chicago teachers' union broke
1: the mold of unions. Well, so did some of the uprisings in Kentucky and... Uh, right. You know, right. I mean, Very where you didn't inspiring. expect it. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Okay. Very. Okay. Okay. We're talking to Bernadine right. Dorn and Bill Ayers in Chicago. Alice Embry is with me here and Tracy Schultz. And um, we'll be right back after this break. Okay, you guys, get on out of here. No no street fighting in, in this in this studio, please. So. Not all men, at least not
2: all men.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah. Dorn,
2: um, can I ask Alice about the Me Too movement and what she's making of it?
0: Sure, so let me remind people who we're talking to. Oh, okay.
2: okay. Bernadine
0: Dorn and Bill Ayers and Alice Embry is now going to respond to Bernadine Ayers. Bernadine Dorn. <laughs> well, <laughs> if you're... <laughs>
3: I'm going to tell you a story about that in a minute. Go ahead. Alice. Oh, about about using uh, your
0: last name. Well, yes.
1: Pretty much every woman I know is is. I mean, I think the Kavanaugh hearings and the dismissal of uh, of a survivor like that and the celebration of uh, hey, let's you know, let's all get behind. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh. I mean, the celebration that Trump is the, the celebratory run around that he's been doing on this is just uh, mind-boggling. Yeah. And there were there were 13 people arrested, stopping a bridge. I mean, sitting down on a bridge on that Saturday. I think about two minutes before he was um, sworn in. But that, um, I, that's a, uh, yeah i what can I say? I think people are shocked um, and I'm shocked at the ease with which uh, this kind of uh, celebration of his anger level and his uh you know it, i mean it, it it was astonishing to me so um, i I don't know. I don't know what to say. I was. I did not get arrested on the bridge, but I was there at the city hall before they took off for the bridge and blocked it during the uh, Austin city limits uh, <laughs> event that was happening. So they were whisked off to jail and and stayed thirteen hours. But you know, I'm I'm really glad they stood up uh, and I did that. I am
2: too. I am too. I mean, uh, we've we lost going to you to the women's marches in the last year um, here in Chicago with our granddaughters. And, you know, uh, it's, I think there's, um, there's, there's a a real, whether it's, whether it's about sexual harassment and rape, or whether it's about the, you know, kind of massive economic inequality that still persists between men and women. Um, I think that the, in the integrity of women's bodies and, I think that, you know, I'm I'm hoping that this foretells uh, a center place um, for, um, you know, for a feminist lens on all issues. I I think it's important to uh, recognize how central it is, you know, as Bill's been saying, to all the other issues that we're talking about, to war and peace and to... To, uh, you know, super exploitation of women workers You know, women still make 79 cents For, um, for every dollar men make And, but, you know, um, among people who are poor That is extremely dramatic difference So uh,
1: I think Yeah, um, and the health care disparities are horrific that, And, uh, you know, you can have uh, government, government subsidy Apparently for Viagra, but not for Birth control, sometimes, and you know, it's it's on and on and on, and I, it's brought back a lot of uh, retrospective thought on my part. I mean, I, I mean, I think it was seventy three that Congress passed a, a child care bill, and it was vetoed right. on Nixon's desk because uh, he said, "Well, that would be like uh, I don't know, socialist," uh, you know. <laughs> Childcare yeah. or something, and you know, in every manner, I think the promise of the women's movement and and the entry into the workforce was one of hey, maybe we'll have um, more free time. And the, uh, well, you know, capitalism was able to uh, use that entry into the workforce and pretty much, you know, was able to flatten out wages for a long time. And now no one has any free time. And, um, you know, that's, that's one of the real difficulties when with young, with families raising young children. I mean, the cost of childcare is like the cost of Harvard. And it, it's kind of a sleeper issue, but good Lord, that's not, uh, you know, for working class people, that's just uh, it's just a huge uh, and terrible load to, to bear. Exactly right, and I think I'm wondering
2: what young girls are making of this. I think sometimes they hear too much stuff at a young age, and other times, I feel like our our granddaughters made us t-shirts about pussy power, and they're, you know, they're they're young, but they get the spirit, they get the idea of it, and I think a lot of young girls get the idea of their bodily integrity. Now, that of course doesn't doesn't work out if you're, you know, if your boss is on you and you need the job and Mm -hmm. there's a million pressures that make that not really safe. But I think uh, I'm hoping that this movement, with all of its limitations and flaws, has, has, as he said, forced a lot of retrospective thinking about our lives and also, uh, you know, determination not to let it happen again to our grandchildren and children.
3: Okay. You know, I think, I think this is another example of a great opportunity for those of us who think of ourselves as organizers or as revolutionaries to begin to really take that discussion deeper. I've been so impressed with the last couple of years of the conversation about women's rights and women's freedom. And I think it got amped up with this Kavanaugh thing in a way that has to be taken seriously. But as you're pointing to, Alice, we have to, we have to understand that the word sexism or male chauvinism, it has two distinct meanings. One is bigoted, backward, horrible behavior, but the other is the structures of inequality. If we don't destroy those structures, if we don't overcome, the structures of pay and the structures of childcare and women having, so when I hear people like Mitch McConnell. Or others say, well, I believe the women. No, you don't. You don't believe the women when they say I have a right to my own uterus. You don't believe the women (laughs) when they say I have a right to make equal pay. So let's get serious about the structures and so feed the, the bigotry.
0: Let's always remember that our that it's a patriarchy, and that, that's what we're really fighting. Yeah,
1: I, I did a little bit of research recently on the word on the theory of socialist feminism, and found that Heather Booth in Chicago wrote the first paper on this, apparently in 1972. And and it it you can you have to tackle capitalism and patriarchy, and uh, you know there's been a, a a lot of young people have. They do better with the concept of intersectionality. We didn't even know the word. So they do better with uh, different so kind, different layers of oppression and understanding that they work differently. And I'm in DSA, and the Feminist Action Committee there um, pushed forth a meeting where only, uh, well, how do I say this, non-male, non-men identified uh, people spoke. And it, was, and it was a learning experience, like raise up, okay, guys, <laughs> stand back and then uh, listen to these voices. And, and I thought that was, I wasn't even there. I was at my grandson's, it was when you were here, but Bernadine, I was at my grandson's birthday. But um, mm-hmm. it was, I mean, it, that's just, uh, that that could not really, in SDS, that wouldn't have happened. And uh, I'm so glad to see it happening in the, in a, in this generation, me too, me too. I think yeah. it's fantastic, and I do. I think okay,
2: that's this, uh,
3: right. This is a good time. Our, our daughter
2: in law spoke last night, and she it did a big interview, and there was a big audience here at the University of Chicago. And then she took questions, and the first five people she called on in the audience were women. It was so notable. Mm-hmm. And then she called on one. She had time for one more. <laughs> she called on big guy who had you know, hands I, I, waving the whole time, but it was <laughs> so, such a purposeful
1: <laughs> right. act on her part. It's called D- progressive stack. Yeah. 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 Just a
0: note for <laughs> everybody. We have about six minutes left. So let me say one other quick thing. Other so other quick
3: thing. Uh, Heather Booth also, who happened to be Jennifer Dorn's roommate at the University mm-hmm. of Chicago, she's also the one who was spearheading that network back in the day called Jane,
1: uh-huh. which
3: was that illegal abortion network. And there's been a fantastic documentary made about that movement called She's Beautiful When She's Angry, and it's a woman-made documentary about the Chicago <laughs> We've shown that uh, like struggle. three
1: times in Austin because we use it as a fundraiser. I think it's a great it's a, documentary. I love it. Isn't I love it
3: terrific?
2: But it the was sold out here when it showed. There was a line around the block, and, you know, and it, it really is a teachable. It's yeah, such a good thing about how movements grow and how people self-educate.
3: I have to go back 10 minutes uh, in the show and I have to tell Thorne a, a, a quick story which is I get a lot of trolls who follow Bernadine and me and, and send us threatening notes and so on but last summer I got a an envelope full of stuff like uh, a t-shirt that had my picture on it and Welch's grape juice on it and said good free radical under the Welch's grape juice. And under my picture, it said bad free radical. But the most interesting thing that we got was a, a, was a bumper sticker. At least sticker. it
0: was a free radical. <laughs> yeah, uh,
3: exactly. That's why they were unhappy. So yeah. I got a, there was also a bumper sticker in the packet and it said, Bill Ayers and his wife should be in prison. And I showed it to Bernadine, and she said, his wife, she didn't object to the prison part. It was
0: the, his <laughs>
1: wife, so be careful.
0: <laughs> okay, what yeah. else? We've got, like I say, we've got about five minutes, a little less than five minutes.
1: Can I Go say ahead. one little bitty thing here? And it's yeah. about the, the greed Bambi. through line here. So so Texas is uh, the private prison Capital of the world, and that's happening. That is that you referred to it in education. So it's like the, you know, it's this. Uh, you know, people have found a way to be, to make money, off taking uh, services out of the pub. Well, I'm not going to say prisons or services, but they re- they remove, they profit in education and in prisons and in everything. By moving things into the private sphere and just making off like bandits, right in education thing. as yeah, well with with testing yeah. and with charter schools, etc. Cetera, et cetera. Right.
3: Well, it's a terrible thing, and it's also, to me, points to the fact that capitalism is in its end days. I mean, the fact that it has to not only monetize everything. I mean, Marx pointed this out long ago that everything is going to be for sale: water, air, everything. And the fact that Capitalism is now at a point where it has to prey on old people and children and the most vulnerable in ways that are just, you know, sick. I mean, just uh, absolutely predatory, uh, you know, grievously backward. This, to me, is a a, a sign of the end days, and I think we have to push it over the edge. That's our job. (laughs)
2: Well, <laughs> you have been saying that for a long time, though. I don't know. I've been
3: saying it for 50 years. Yeah, <laughs> we've been saying But I think
2: it. I think pushing is right, and we'll see how in days. I mean, we have been had the wonderful benefit. Sounds like you do. I know you do. And that's the the that young people letting us, you know, uh, run alongside, come <laughs> come to their meetings, sit <laughs> with them, and, and watch them plan. And I think that that that. Um, you know, it, it's it's wonderful when, it, when a struggle like No Cop Academy, hashtag No Cop Academy, can turn out thousands of people to jam City Hall because they the city council voted $95 million to build a police academy as if that would help policing in Chicago, but build it in the middle of Lawndale, a black community on the west side. <laughs> and the thing that stunned me about going to their meetings is that they did the work, not just of, of theater, but they did the door-to-door knocking on the community yeah. in Lawndale. They went to the churches in Lawndale. They asked people, if if you had $95 million from the city of Chicago, what would you do with it? Do you want this in your community? And they, want, they took it seriously. They weren't humiliating people who thought it might bring jobs and good work into that community. They were actually... Looking, listening, <laughs> listening hard for answers. And so it's that combination of, of uh, as you said, that we didn't always have right, of intersectionality, of listening, of acting, and then thinking about whether your work, whether that action made any sense at all. Um, and revising and being
1: open to change and
2: bringing in new people. That's the... That's spirit that I'm made me hopeful. And knocking
1: on doors. That didn't And hurt. knocking
2: on doors. Exactly. They were literally doing the work that brought all of us into the movement. Mm-hmm. Okay, guy, we've
0: got about a minute and a half. Uh-oh. So Uh-oh. final words time. <laughs> Unless we do want to go on till the end of the year.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, I, my final word is this is a moment like, like many others, but in some ways the, the struggle has intensified in so many interesting ways. But this is a moment of movement building. And if we spend our time naming this political moment, And looking to others and building the kind of coalition that Bernadine was referencing, the R3 coalition, resist, reimagine, rebuild. This is what we have to do. And I think that um, I see sparks of it everywhere. Let's get organized. Let's Yes, let's get involved in this upcoming election, but let's not stop there. Let's build real power on the ground where we can actually impact uh, the future. And I think it's in our hands. We've got to do it.
0: Okay, Bernadine, 20,
2: 15, 20 seconds. <laughs> I can't do that. Okay. All right. I agree with all. I think the two, four of us should get together more often. Okay. We'd be so happy. This has Thank been, you, Thorne.
0: This has been a lot of you, a Ellen. lot of fun. We've had two free radicals, <laughs> <laughs> Bernadine Dorn and Bill Ayers, on, uh, on Radio for People, Not for Profit, K-O-O-P. <laughs> so uh, I want to tell people that uh, – uh friday november 2nd climate science researcher and activist bruce melton is going to be here and on november ninth, progressive populist author and commentator our old friend jim hightower so thank Hello. you thank you very much for being with us i'm thorne dreyer and this is rag radio
1: thank you guys love to you both thank you <laughs>